Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Ben, joined, as always, by my co-host, Jonah. Hello, everyone. Oh, you changed it up this week. Disappointing. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we're also joined by our guest today, uh, Greg. You may remember Greg. Hello, Greg. Hello, yeah. Thanks for having me back so soon. Uh, what's the count with me and Patrick? Um, Patrick's I... winning. Oh, Don't he... worry about it. This is, what, your third or fourth? <laughs> this is my fourth. I think Patrick's at four as well, probably. Oh well, we have to we'll have to change it next week. I'm coming back on. I'm inviting myself. All right. Again. Cool. All right. Next no, week we'll have Patrick and Greg. Oh yeah. Okay. That would be cool. I mean, you ever consider that having multiple guests? I've thought about it, but I don't know if it's going to be a big pain to have a discussion with an extra person. I don't know. I don't know if it's a logistical issue. Gotcha. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, how have you been, Greg? Anything new going on in your life? Oh, in my life? Um, I actually, I got a cat. So that's, oh, we no got way. a cat rather. Yeah, we got a cat. That's exciting. Can you so send me a picture big... so I can show Jessica? Yeah, I'll send a picture. Um, she's not here at the moment. She's getting spayed today. And then uh, we'll get her, we'll pick her up again tonight. But uh, we've had her for the past week. And um, yeah, it's been pretty cool. She's, it's cool seeing how she's she went from hiding under the bed to now like sleeping at the end of the bed, like getting more comfortable. And she likes to play, and she's really chill and just hangs out. So it's nice to have a buddy, especially when you're working from home by yourself. It's you know some company, I suppose. Your stock right. in Jessica's eye is just <laughs> rising even higher, Greg. First, she thinks you're a really nice man, and now you get a cat. Oh, I better watch gee, out. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit. <laughs> my, it's okay. Mine, mine drops lower every time I say how much I dislike cats. So, what's your beef with cats, though? They're useless pets. What do they you don't, consider they don't, a useful don't, pet? A dog. What? A, what? A use dog that actually do? interacts with you and likes you when you come home and doesn't hide constantly and then come out every once in a while. If you don't see your pet, it's a useless you're so, pet. You're so needy. You don't, why do yeah, you a little bit. To to be fair, I think I'm slightly biased because a lot of my friends growing up had outdoor cats, which I literally don't understand. Why it's would you a get a pet that that's... can go outdoors? But no, like the cat lived outside. Like, what is the point of having a pet that doesn't live at your house and like interact with you? I don't get it. So cats always just seem dumb, and then they're like all. I don't know. They just seem like violent compared. Like dogs just seem like they actually like you. Cats seem like they want to like kill you every time. Because now I have a friend who like she puts on her Instagram. She has one of those sphinx cats, which I just call a naked mole cat because it has like no fur and it's It's honestly hideous. It's honestly hideous, but whatever. Um, And like it literally is just like climbing on her shoulder and like punching her in the face in the middle of zoom meetings and she like records it and puts it on her instagram i'm like what why do you like this none of this seems nice so i don't like cats i don't see the point all right well we can we can take this offline have this discussion but yeah for sure oh that's such a business term greg we could take this offline we take this offline yeah we'll 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 table the conversation yeah. yeah, but yeah, supporters of the podcast out there, uh, I like dogs, not cats. Just email us with your complaints. I can hear them coming now. So, yeah. 
but, uh, but, but yeah, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you got a buddy though not to derail that part of the conversation <laughs> yeah i mean well i guess one of the things i like about cats and then and we can we can drop we can circle back to this uh <laughs> next time is we can touch base like, later but you know they're they don't they have their own personality they they do what they they kind of want you know you can't control a cat I, someone said the other day or i was reading something the other day about you know beware of the not all dog owners are like this but you know someone who likes to have dogs is they're pleasing to their masters and they like to just, like have control over the dog you know they have more of a control i suppose and a cat you can't control so perhaps the cat owner is a little bit more secure or uh you know with themselves something like that i mean it, i i don't know if i subscribe to that but it did sort of make sense like you know i don't need to have them please me all the time it's just kind of like a companion sort of thing is this your first cat yeah so you're getting big into the cat literature now right well, well yeah apparently i guess <laughs> I, was, I was doing some research but uh no, see, yeah, I have no beef with dogs. I I love dogs too. My friends have dogs. I, as a kid, my dad hate. Well, my dad still is not a fan of any animal. So I was deprived, I guess you could say, of having a pet. The only pet I could have was something that didn't move more than like a square foot in a cage. So I had like I had gerbils growing up. That was about it. Um, so I have no beef with the with dogs, but cat fits my personality more. I'm a little bit more laid back and relaxed and yeah, you know, I can go out and not have to worry about it coming back super and quickly. You can't be controlled. Going out. Yeah, I can't you know, I'm just a wild animal, I can't be controlled. You live outside. Uh, yeah, I live outside. I come back when I'm hungry and <laughs> take naps under the when it's like the sunny spot by the window. It's on the floor. So we have a lot in common. Sweet. Ben, what have you been up to? Uh not right. honestly i'm so boring lately i've been watching i've been rewatching scrubs oh, wow. um that's i mean i don't know just kind of like watching tv um oh speaking of sorry to interrupt um yeah i'd like to thank you on behalf of jessica yet again for having the uh plex luther whatever oh yeah um she watched knives out last night yeah did you put that on there by i don't know if this is if we're allowed to talk about this did you rip a blu-ray and then just host it on there is that what you did so i do you specifically know how you got knives out is my question yes i every movie that's on there is a movie that i know how i got it okay and how, I this is making it seem like out? a gray gray area i own i own the vast majority of those movies and then i rip them so that i have a backup so most of the movies you see on there are rips, some rips from movies that I own. Some of the movies on there without incriminating myself come came from a friend in college who was in a group that had some movies and I put some of them on there that I couldn't find to buy, but most of them I own and I have ripped. Okay, so you there. own Knives Out and ripped it and put it on there? Okay, because Jessica watched it last night. And she told me that like halfway into the movie, it cut to some random scene that seems to be from the end of the movie, and then it cut back to something else and continued on as if that didn't happen. And then that scene kind of came up later, and she said she was very confused about I all of it. I might need to look. I and might need to I look said, into that. Okay. 
I don't know, but I'll ask Ben. <laughs> so yeah, thank I you for having it. And uh, I if that's not part of the movie, I don't know what went wrong. I'll, I'll look into it. I know that it's one of those heist movies that does like jump around a little bit. But right, that's I, what I was thinking as well. I'll look into it because that is weird. That doesn't usually happen, a.k.a. it never happens. Maybe so that's part of the movie. I'll look and see if I could find what she's talking about, but that's weird. But I'll look. That's your gray area conversations with Ben. Love it. Moral gray areas. Did I tell you guys that I'm going to be on Patrick's podcast next week? The movie one? The movie one. I finally uh, gotten that sweet invite. What, uh, What did you pick for your movie? So he does topics or like genres or something. One of them was like old people in action movies that his friend picked. And it was just like, uh, what am I trying to say? There's that like movie that movie, at, that movie Red. Yeah, I was like gonna say Red. It's just like all old yeah. people doing action stuff. Anyway, yep. so that was someone's topic. Another one. Uh, he looked at the Hellraiser series. Anyway, yep. so I was trying to think of something interesting to talk about that I have seen a few movies in. Let's pretend that was good English like we do every week. Uh, so I chose time travel movies because oh, nice. I've seen a fair bit of those and they're always interesting to search out. So yeah, watched two of those this week and I'll talk about them next week with Patrick. Nice. Yeah, I'll ch- yeah, check that episode out. What's your favorite time? Well, I guess you don't want to spoil anything. Favorite time uh, travel? My favorite time travel movie. I don't, I'll think about that for the next week, so I don't have a good answer. But I will ask, have either of you seen Primer? No. No. I don't think so. Primer is... Future Me did, and I just don't know yet. Tune in next week when you're back to find out. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Primer is, God, it came out in the last, like, 15 or 20 years, I think, and it's kind of this cult classic time travel movie that's insane that everyone asks what happened in the movie after they saw it. And there are these infographics showing like eight or ten timelines and saying, this is what happened in the movie you just watched. And it's kind of like the granddaddy of nonsense time travel movies, I think. Oh, boy. Anyway, I'm looking forward to talking about that with Patrick. But I've, I've, Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say I've seen Looper. Yeah, Looper is a good one. I think one that I quite like is Time Crimes. Have either of you seen Time Crimes? It is a Mexican movie that uh, deals with time travel. And I recommend checking it out. It's on. I think it was on Netflix when I watched it. I've seen it twice. And I watched it once with Jessica a few years ago. And it was really interesting because, like all time travel movies, they tell you the date during certain times of the movie. And we realized that the date that it was taking place was the date that we were watching it. Whoa. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that was a pretty neat coincidence. Well, Back to the Future, the greatest time travel movie. <laughs> seriously. That and Bill and Ted's, right? Oh, yeah, true. I haven't seen Bill and Ted's. Wow, there's but... a lot to talk about on that, with yeah. that topic. Yeah. Should be good. But anyway, board games on this podcast, right? Yeah. Then there are time travel board games, which could be a subject at one point, but is not the subject of this episode. 
So, all right, who wants How to go that? first? <laughs> what are we playing? It is that what you're referring? Yeah, what, 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 what have you played? Uh, well, I wanted to talk about. Well, I mentioned the Ben. I guess the Crokinole board came in, and we've been playing that. Like we've been playing that not every night, but pretty much every night. It's just week. so easy to play. It's so easy to set up and play. Yeah, I exactly. With my grandmother a couple of weeks ago, in fact. Yeah, and it's super relaxed. Like I love relaxing games. Like where if I could have a beer that is not is easily reachable and it's not gonna spill over a bunch of cards or anything and just kind of have this back and forth dexterity flicking discs on a beautiful wooden piece of art. Yeah. Yep. Sign me up. So I'm excited. And I got in the bag. I bought a bag to to have it in so it doesn't get damaged and all that stuff. And exploring the mounted wall aesthetic as well. So I'm excited. Did did you go with the Mayday bag? Yeah. That's the only bag I could find, really, that was decently priced. Yeah, the other ones are from Canada, and to be honest, the design of the other ones in Canada, I don't like quite as much as the Mayday one anyway. What color did you go with? I think just black. Ah, boring. Let me ask you a a question, Greg. Are you a flicker or a pusher? Oh, flicker, that's, I mean, that's, that's the rule, isn't it? You have to flick, you can't push. Well, geez, people who are listening are in uh, rough shape, but, you know, some people do this traditional flicking motion, some people do... Yeah, that's my mom. That. So this is what I do, just a one finger straight okay, push. So yeah, not I, not the whole hand, of course, yeah. which is illegal. That's how we can illustrate for our blind listeners. Uh, right. Moving your whole hand, not allowed, just a quick straight flick from uh, retracted pointer finger to extended pointer finger. Yeah, that's that's of... what I do. Yeah, I don't um, I don't sort of like prime my finger for like a really yeah. fast. I kind of I guess a glide flick perhaps. Right. I Jessica's... call I call it a flush. Ooh. Or a flush. Just like grandmother one, does the flick method. Mm-hmm. And she is fantastic. I mean, she's been... Jessica's grandparents have a crokinole board that they bought, I think, 60 years ago. So oh, She's had a lot of practice. Though. Yeah, but it's not fair. the method works for some people. My, my mom does a primed finger flick, and every time we're done playing, says how much her finger hurts. Because she hits it hard. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, my... Uh... My arm hurts when I do when I raise it up like this. Well, don't raise it up like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't don't flick it so hard. Yep. But I I found myself in this crokinole hole of black hole Cro- of YouTube. A crokinole hole. A crokinole hole on YouTube, and I'm watching tournaments. Oh of yeah. Crokinole, and I'm like sitting on the couch. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Where it's I mean I like the game, but it's not it's, the most exciting to watch a crokinole it's the, tournament. It's the five stages of crokinole ownership. You raised the view count on that video from ten to eleven, right? Yeah, yeah basic, basically, <laughs> and and the, what I thought was so funny was the comment. The commenters are like, "Oh yeah, what are they supposed to talk about?" I mean, if there's not much going on. It's like, "Oh, you made another 20. and uh, yep, all right, another twenty from the other side. <laughs> have you have you watched the the joke the joking commentary one, the one that's like a parody? Uh, no, I'll, I haven't. I, I just I'll assumed have... all of those were parodies. Oh, I no. I'll, so have to, I'll have to send you that one. 
What's the guy's name? It's not John Boy. It's uh, or is it John Boy? It is John Boy, but I don't think yeah. John Boy was the one who was doing that video, was it? I know John Boy, but I, I didn't know. If he had oh no, it was uh, Penguins Zero, I think. Anyway, I'll find it. I'll send it to you, Greg. All right. All right. So you've been playing Crokinole, Greg, and what else have you been playing? Um, I've been playing um, Underwater Cities a little bit. Oh, how I, is that? I wanted to bring that up because I think you're going to talk about Gengopolis and um, Vladimir Suchi is a both designer on both of those. Hmm. Underwater Cities is really creeping up on my my top games. Like it's really super up. Yeah, it's up there because a lot of people compare it to Terraforming Mars, but I think it I think it's completely different. It has the engine buildy feel to it, but it's aquaforming it's and not terraforming as well. So yeah, big exactly. Difference. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I mean, just to really quickly explain it, it's, um, you know, you're building an underwater city, but uh, <laughs> you're you're connecting these. You have a tableau. Everybody has a tableau, and you start with one city in the bottom right corner, and you can branch out by building tunnels, and then you build another city on the next site, and you can add buildings to that city. And the game takes place over, I think, is ten rounds. But after the fourth round, there's a production phase. And basically what you built with those previous four rounds, you you get bonuses afterwards. So you're spending time investing into the desalination factory or the, the um, uh, what's the green building called? The, the, kelp, the kelp thing or the um, laboratory to give you more science to help you upgrade buildings. So the more time you spend building that stuff and increasing your engine, the better you off in the production, which gives you bonuses to get to do stuff in the next couple rounds for the next production, and then the final production at the end. So it's, I don't know, I love that breakup of engine building, and then the worker placement aspect is really nice too with the cards. Where I'm not doing a terrible job explaining, but basically the board is split into three sections of worker placement spots, and there's three colors there's yellow red and green and you have a deck of cards too and you, you have a hand of, of three and each card has the color on it as well and every time you put a worker placement spot down or you take a worker sp uh, placement action you have to get rid of a card hmm. and if the card matches the color that you place you also get the bonuses on that card as well so uh if you guys played dune imperium recently that's kind of the same thing but um, you're trying to hand management things and getting the right colors to take the right actions and kind of comboing those to build your city empire and get those bonuses for the next round. Anyway, I just really like it. And um, I already got the upgraded bits. I bought uh, an insert for it. And um, that's something else I wanted to, I guess, use you guys as a therapeutic device because I'm not buying board games, but I'm buying board game accessories these days right. I'm not the up one late to talk at night to, looking right? at Polly Pocket for uh, Grand Austria Hotel right oh yeah well I bought an insert <laughs> for that too I went on this insert buying kick after Ben graciously you know gave me his Star Wars Rebellion wooden insert and I saw how aesthetically pleasing that was to be in the box and then I had some really frustrating moment of setting up Orleans on uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, this is just a nightmare. Like I'd need an insert to make this better. And I just, and I'd set it up. I'm like, this is really great. 
I need I need more inserts for more of the games <laughs> to have this to have this uh, ease of setup and takedown and organization. So that's what I've been doing. Wonderful. Have you what player count did you play Underwater Cities at? I've done two, three, and four actually. Um, I prefer the three and the two. Four player it took a little too long. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah I really like it. I, th- I think it's fantastic game. The bit the upgraded bits that I got even make it better. Cool. The production phases that you're talking about is that kind of similar to in uh, Tolkien? How you know there's the the four feed days and on each one like the first and third produce resources and the second and fourth give you points. Is it a similar idea? Yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, you're essentially setting yourself up up for that production. So you, know, you do some investing, like um, for example, the desalination plant. You have to spend a dollar to build it, but during the production, you get a dollar back, and then if you upgrade it, you actually get more stuff. So it it incentivizes you to um, to just build as much as possible, because at the very least, you get that stuff back, if not more. That will help you build in the next couple rounds. Cool. Sounds interesting. I've been wanting to try it uh, ever since it came out, so I'll give it a go sometime. Yeah, if, is there a... I, mean, I have to check if there's a tabletop simulator mod, but maybe in person one of these days, maybe. Yeah, one of these days. I'm getting my second dose of the vaccine on Thursday, so Ooh. Ooh. step in the right nice. direction. I got an email last night, late last night, about vaccination stages, and I was like, oh boy, are they moving into phase two? And then it was just like, hey, we just want to give you an update, and they're not, so. Jessica and I got the same email. I think yep. they just sent it out to everyone in the state who registered. Hey, we, yep. uh, we're we doing something. I don't, I don't mind, like, updates, but also it's kind of annoying when I'm, like, m- potentially months out to, like, send an email that doesn't say, like, this is not a like in the subject it should say like this is not an email saying it's ready for you because i was like oh is it time for me to like register for an appointment right as like so it was a little confusing but whatever well what have you guys been playing i've, I've been talking a lot yeah well, right. we You're played t- we played two games together uh, did we really? we played oh yeah well you and i did you played more games than i did so uh we played uh, Ginkopolis. Uh, I've actually played a lot of games this week because I was hanging out with my girlfriend last weekend as well. So I'm going to start way back then. Uh, the first game we tried was uh, Danger Noodles. I don't know if you've ever heard of Danger Noodles. Uh, I know those are snakes, though. And uh, yeah, I was going to say, yes. are those snakes? Yeah, so my girlfriend has like uh, party games slash like younger skewing games, I would call them, um, which is fine. And we played three of them. Uh, well, we played four games together, but Danger Noodles was the first one. Uh, it's a push-your-luck game, so you're drawing cards out of a deck, and you're literally just drawing cards out of a deck. I think you're um, pronouncing the name wrong. I just looked it up. It's How are you supposed to pronounce it? Danger Noodle! There's an oh, exclamation, exclamation point, point at the end. Uh, oh, I was oh, very man. confused for a second. <laughs> oh, oh, now I know what game you're talking about. You, after Jonah pronounces it. And you're you're literally just drawing cards out of a deck. Uh, the cards are worth points, but it's a push your luck game because there are positive point cards and negative point cards, and then there are danger noodles. 
and you're literally just pulling cards out of the deck until you hit either a danger noodle or a negative card, and then you have to stop. Like a stab or you can choose rabbit. to stop. Well, some of the names are really funny, um, which is the only reason that this game is any good. Um, the game is not... There's, like, nothing to this game. You're literally just drawing points, but, like, a crocodile is a murder log. Uh, a giraffe was a long horse. Um... Things like that. Um, a prison pony is a zebra. Um, What's a stab so rabbit? I don't remember what a stab rabbit... I think a stab rabbit was a porcupine. But I don't remember. But the names are, like, clever and cute. But other than that, you're literally just drawing cards until you get to 30 points. But if you pull a danger noodle, you have to wipe out your whole hand. Um, there are some special cards in there that give it a little more take that. Um, like seeing you can, there are some cards that let you look at the next five cards of the deck. So like I was able to see that the next card, like four cards down was a danger noodle. So I knew to draw the next three and then stop my turn. So then the next person had to draw a danger noodle. It was, it was, I mean, it was a fun little time pass game, but yeah. I'm looking at it on uh, board game geek right now. There are some great yeah. comments and ratings. Someone gave it a nine. Which is interesting. Someone else uh, gave it a five and said, "Animal names are clever and adorable. They will be cherished and used for years to come." They go on to say that a game with five players lasted us ninety minutes before we just gave up. <laughs> God. Yeah. Luckily, ours only lasted like fifteen minutes, but I've heard that it can go on for a while um, from other plays that she's had, just because if somebody keeps drawing snakes it'll wipe your whole hand or like it just takes a while because you have to get to 30 points but you have to get to 30 points exactly so like it, you can go over it but then you need to get negative points it's kind of weird um the next game we played was called cobra paw uh this one was actually pretty fun you put these uh dominoes out on on the table and you have two dice and each domino has symbols on it and the two dice are all of the symbols that might be a combination on the dominoes. And you need to collect six dominoes before your opponent. So you roll the dice and then you need to find that domino on the table and snatch it before your opponent can. Um, I'm so bad at these games. Yeah. And the crazy part is once you've snatched that piece and it's in your hand, if that combo comes up again, you have to protect it or the person can reach across the table and take it. <clears throat> from underneath your uh, your hand. Uh, so that one was pretty wild. We went back and forth, but that played quickly and it was that one was pretty fun. But it's tough because you're like scrambling and looking around. Um, so it's, yeah, that one was interesting. Uh, we played Tsuro again. I finally won this one. Uh, Tsuro is the game where you move those little, you put out like rope-based uh, tiles, which goes nicely with the theme today. Um, and you move your little stone along the ropes and you need to try and stay in the board and not run off the end of the board before your opponent. Uh, so you want your opponent to run off the board first. Uh, then we played a game of dice fishing, roll and catch. Uh, so that was fun. All right. Uh, we've explained that one. Yeah, I played it with you over Patrick's house, I believe. Right. Okay. Continue. Yeah, we've... We've talked about dice fishing kind of at length, so I won't explain dice fishing. Um, 
And then Jonah, we're now into games that you, myself, and Nick played together. We played Ginkopolis, which is our game of the week, so we'll go into that uh, in a little bit. And then we also played Monster Slaughter, or Monster's Laughter, as you like to call it. As it's um, correctly pronounced. And Monster's Laughter, which is really Monster Slaughter for anybody <laughs> trying to find this game. Uh, you are playing as families of monsters trying to kill and devour party goers at a cabin in the woods. So you are not trying to survive. You're trying to kill the people who are at the cabin. Um, it's a little bit of, I wouldn't say it's area control cause, but it's like a little bit of dudes on a map style game because you're moving your miniatures around to various rooms in this cabin, trying to search through the decks for each room to find the victims that might be hiding there. And then you want to kill them. Is Monopoly dudes on a map? No, I think that's roll and move. Because I would say this is as much dudes on a map as Monopoly is dudes on a map. It's just like objects well, on a map. I think the I think the difference is that Monopoly you only have one straight path to go, and this one you can like bust through doors and move to wherever you want. But I don't I don't really know how to describe it. I don't know what category this game would fall into. Uh, it's a dice chucker. You're trying to, and I mean you're just moving around this map that is rooms in a cabin so there's like a living room a bedroom a bathroom a toilet and you're trying to like bust down these doors which you get points for you get points for breaking down doors um and you the i guess the the real kicker for this game is that you can only use uh one of your miniatures a turn and then every third turn you're like family resets you have a dad a mom and a child miniature um and you once you use one you flip that card over and then the next turn you can't use that miniature again until you get through your whole family and then you refresh them um but you before the game starts you actually like guess the order that you think people are going to die in the victims so you know what victims are there you just don't know where they are but you guess an order that you keep secret in which you think they're going to die and you get to choose what's called your favorite meal so if you get the death order right you get bonus points if you are the one who strikes the killing blow on your favorite meal you get bonus points um and so on and you get uh points for doing damage to the to the victims that are in the cabin um i find this game Really fun. I think it's a simple, easy game. I would add, now that we've played and Jonah has brought it up, I probably would add a house rule that the first player moves to the next person when you switch miniatures because there are... Because I was going last seven rounds of the seven rounds well, in the game. <laughs> so, normally you can't, there's no turn order change in this game. And normally from my other plays of this game, it hasn't really come up that it's caused an issue, but there are round rules that change each time you switch what miniature you're using. Um, and some of them that came up this game were not beneficial to people going last or later in the round. So <laughs> I was only, the first player beneficial for whoever was going first. Yeah, so I think now that I've seen it cause an issue, and I have looked on BGG, and some people had the same same issues, but again, it hadn't happened to me before that it was an issue, so I never thought of it as an issue. 
I would probably say when you switch to the next miniature, the next person will be the first part, the first player. Um, just because, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you've revealed what victim is in a room and that person happens to be someone else's favorite meal or someone else's next person up in the death order and you are first, that person's already been revealed and is just sitting there and you don't need to take any actions to get over to them. Whereas the person who's last might miss out on their attempt at being able to attack them just because they're last in the turn order always. Um, or, you know, various rule changes that come up from these cards might cause problems as well. Um, so I, I definitely agree now that Jonah has brought that up after we played. But I think it's a fun, fairly quick, easy little game that uh, I know my brother likes because it's got that little bit of pvp play which is player versus player i i'll explain that um because you can throw out like defense cards if you want to so you can throw out like cards for the victims to use to fight back to stop them from getting killed if you want to be the one to kill them so yeah it was a uh, i had fun with it so i just want to ask if yes. either of you can think of a board game that has rounds but does not have the change of first player at all. Because, you know, since we mentioned Monopoly, there aren't rounds in Monopoly. The game starts and then you just go around in a circle forever, if my memory is correct. Uh, and there are plenty of games like that. But if there are distinct rounds where things change round to round, can you think of any games that don't have... A change of first player possible? Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch. I, the first thing that came to mind was Teotihuacan, where that's the first second. That remains the same, because the last person has to change the eclipse or move the eclipse marker mm -hmm. each round. So that's, uh, I think that's stationary, right? But then mistake. it's the it same every... order every round? Yeah, I believe so. Hmm. Uh, scythe, sure. scythe is, from what I recall, scythe doesn't change player order. But there aren't rounds in scythe, are there? Uh, okay, I you guess just start the and round. then you stop. Like Raiders of the North okay. Sea, there aren't rounds. You just start and you play through it until oh, it's okay, over. Okay, I see. What, I see what you're saying. Like if there's a distinct change in, like this is the next round. Right. I see. Like I see. in Sulkin, new buildings come out at the end of the round, so you might want to be first in the next round. Well, maybe Teotihuacan does change. In <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. But, but again, I don't, I don't know if this is just like, oh, these cards came out that caused issues this game. Because again, I played three times before we played this time, and it never, right. it never even came up because nothing ever... Was, and I'm trying to remember what card came up specifically that was like a problem. I think it was the one that let you use an extra attack die that round because that really guaranteed that people later in the round would never get a chance. Right, yeah, that really um, hurts going third. But I don't... Now that you are bringing it up, I don't know off the top of my head of like specific games with distinct rounds where player order never changes. Right. Anyway, just a thought. Any other games to bring up? That was all, I, that was all I'd played, which is a lot for me, as people right. listening for a while would know. Um, but yeah, that was it for me. I had the week off of work, which was nice. I sat in front of the TV a lot. It was delightful. 
I played some board games online. Uh, we played Ginkopolis, like you said. We'll talk about that shortly. I played Monsters Laughter with you, which you just talked about. And, yeah, it was not for me. Uh, I already knew I wasn't a big fan of Dice Chuckers, but this was a Dice Chucker that had a lot of feels-bad moments in it. Going third every round wasn't ideal. And then the fact that the only player interaction was trying to harm someone else's attempt at doing something, and it was a randomness stop of other randomness. So yeah, I didn't feel like I had much control in the game, which isn't my preferred play style, but that's alright. It was cool. would be cool to see it in person because the art is really nice and the board is the box, which is really cool. Yep. So, and it's got walls, so it's three-dimensional, unlike on right. Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, so that's really neat. Um, last night, we went over to my grandmother's. Over to my grandmother's is, you know, six floors downstairs uh, for dinner. And I brought the crew down there. So we played a few hands, a few missions of the crew. We've talked about this before. It's the cooperative trick-taking game. And it's really funny to play this with my grandmother, who has played bridge for, you know, 50 years now. So she is well-versed in trick-taking card games. And, well, at least in bridge. And she is... She's played so much bridge that, you know, when, I'll, when I play with her sometimes, because I'm a nice grandson, uh, we'll be like eight hands into the game, and bridge uses a standard deck of cards. And we'll be eight hands into the game, and she can, like, list off every card that has been played in each suit. Because she's paying attention to every single play and really tracking all of this. So it's interesting to bring that into the crew, where there are three suits numbered one through nine. Well, for a three-player game, we have three suits numbered one through nine, and then the three rocket cards, the trump suit. And the other really funny part about it is... She still, I don't think, fully grasps... She doesn't fully grasp the fact that it's a cooperative game. So we'll be, like, working to help each other. So, for instance, my grandmother will need to win the green three. And she's about... She's winning a trick, and she, like, emphatically puts down a card with a big smile on her face, and she's like, and I take this trick, right? And we're like... Yes, because we played lower cards, so you could win this trick because we need you to win this trick. Uh, she's just super competitive, man. That's, yeah. The, the amount of like grandparent gaming that you do is pretty impressive. You know, between <laughs> like crokinole hustlers and like you know intense bridge players, that's awesome, though. Yeah, she's a, she's a good sport for all these things. She's she's played Azul. She's she really likes silver and gold as well. Um, and dice fishing roll and catch was kind of lost on her, but she has the mind for bridge, so playing the trick-taking games with her is fun, and the last game that I played this week was Electropolis, so we're going to talk about tile layers soon, and Ginkopolis soon, and you'll note that a lot of these city-building tile-laying games are Opolis, there's Ginkopolis, there's Electropolis, there's Quadropolis, there's Sprawlopolis. Probably another I'm not thinking of. 
But anyway, we played a four-player game. Yes, Ben? There's uh, Sorcerer's City, which city is an opolis or a polis, so that counts. Sorcerer, Sorceropolis is what I'm going to call it from now on. I can dig it. Uh, yeah, we played Electropolis. It was me, Jamie, Jake, and you, Greg. And this was a first-time play for both you and Jamie. And what would you think? I I dug it, man. I, I had a lot of uh, deja, not deja vu, I guess, but same similar feelings to like Azul or Isle of Cats, which I was going to talk about you know, when we talk about the actual tile placement stuff. But the backside of Azul, that's what I got similar feelings of, where mm-hmm. it starts off where you, you have sort of an idea of where you want to put tiles, but then towards the end of the game, the crunchiness factor just multiplies tenfold and you're right you know what started off as a simple game and now is like you know ap inducing to the extreme (laughs) but but i thought you know it was super satisfying to be able to draft you know i guess you're essentially drafting tiles uh and then put that like a tile that you really wanted in that perfect spot you know whether it was the factory and you got like triple pollution discount for that factory or something like that you know and that's one of the things I love about tile placement games is the satisfactory feeling of putting that down and perhaps you get something or it's going to do something at the end of the round or at the end of the game. And it's almost like a little little mini game that you're building this little structure or tableau or uh, you know, on your in your player board. I, don't, I thought it was really cool. And then the rule set, super light. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not that complicated, but the crunchiness comes from the actual gameplay itself, which is a, it's a cool aspect. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get a game in, and I'm glad that you liked it as well. The uh, I always really like the tension between choosing earlier or choosing later, and you know choosing fewer tiles earlier and more tiles later, because you want a lot of tiles, but you're going to have to choose last to do so, and you don't know what's going to be left out there from the other people. And then also the cards that tell you where you have to place the tiles. You know, I chose to... I chose to choose a lot of tiles one round when two of the four placement cards made it so I could only place one tile. And uh, sure enough, I got stuck with one of those. So there is that. Yeah, that back and forth aspect between choosing what you want or choosing a lot and then getting first turn or first pick next round, that was pretty interesting. I tried to hang in the middle a little bit, I guess towards the beginning of the game because I was Mm -hmm. trying to get my bearings. You know, right, right in the middle of maybe going second each time. Uh, but I could see towards the end that decision between do you want two or do you want five, that was tough. Right, when the, the three, the three, and the four are all taken and you have to choose how many you want, you know, there's a pretty sizable gap between two and five. Oh, yeah. Ben, have you played? You played this, right? Or no? Yeah, I really like this one. I think it's a fun, fun little rules-like game that... It's like bus light is how I describe it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. For for me, it had a similar feel to Isle of Cats because of the scoring cards. Have you guys played Isle of Cats at all? Oh man, is that the one? I know I need to. From it's Cats on a Boat, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. polyomino tile. Yep. I guess you would yep. consider tile placement. Um, but you're doing the same thing. I said, without a city, you have a boat, and you're trying to place cats and other treasure tokens to fill up your 
boat. But the thing that reminded me of Electropolis was the scoring card. So before you're picking cats to put on your boat, you have to do a draft of cards. And the cards have uh, point cards. So it might say you need to fill, have cats on uh, all edges of your boat or mm. have exactly nine purple cats. So not only are you trying to decide which point cards to take that also work with your strategy, but also putting the cats uh, themselves on the board to score points, that really reminded me of Electropolis because you need to take a point card. You want to get points, but you also need to place them in a certain spot, and you have to make that decision. Cool. I'll have to try that sometime. Yeah, another when we get to play in person, I'll definitely, definitely play that with you because my upgraded components just came in the mail. So excellent! Whoa, is one of yeah. those upgraded components the cat that you just got? Yep. In fact, the lid of the actually, I'm not even kidding. The lid of the box, when you flip it over, it's a there's a target symbol and it says "place cat here" or something <laughs> like that. You know, there's a place for your cat to sit in the box, and the box is huge. The lid is huge, so it's a nice little cozy spot for them. That's great. But I got a, I bought um. In order for you to take cats to put on your boat, you need to rescue them, and you rescue them by putting them in baskets. Oh, that's so sweet. And the baskets are uh, normally just cardboard tiles, but I got 3D printed baskets oh, for them. Look at you go, so, Greg. Yeah. That's awesome. Jessica it's making, me, has, making me proud. Jessica's parents, and I guess Jessica, have a very cute cat named Pearl who is a box cat. And every time we're up there... I always put Pearl in a box, and I pick up the box, and I walk around the house, and Pearl is just so chuffed to be in this box. And I'm glad that Isle of Cats has a uh, target for your cat. Oh, I'm chuffed that you said the word chuffed, because I haven't heard that word in a while. But I'm going to start doing that with uh, with our cat. Uh, Maeve is her name. Maeve. Cool. Maeve, yeah, very classy name. Yeah, really. Uh, ben, before we go over to Ginkopolis, I just want to tell you that... In our game of Electropolis, Jake made the brilliant decision of polluting for 16 and being publicly supportive for 8. Oh my god. <laughs> and for so those lost, that don't know... he lost know, 64 points at the end of the game? Exactly. He lost oh 64 god. points at the end of the game. So in Electropolis, you have to balance the people liking you and how much you pollute. And basically, if you pollute more than people like you, you get penalized very heavily. Very heavily. Very heavily. That's nuts. It, that was one of the things that I realized you don't, te technically it's probably beneficial if you're higher in people people points, but I was only one behind. I only lost one point, which I guess isn't that bad, so if you can get it to be even or just one under, that's not the, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, if it's close, it doesn't matter. But, right. you know, once you get to four or five apart, you're at 16, 25 points lost, which is really big in a game like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I've said every time after I've played that game that I go for the strategy of trying to be popular every time. And I and that actually, while I still end up doing all right, I lose out on a lot of points because I don't want to pollute. So I don't activate the high point like factories. Right. So I lose out on a lot of points. But my popu my popularity is like 
the reverse of what Jake is at. So like my pollution would be eight, but my popularity would be 16, which when That's you think about it, doesn't, it's, yeah, it doesn't make sense because I should really be polluting the same as I'm popular to get more points. And I never do that. And I need to try it sometime. But yeah, I like classic, Electropolis. Classic dog owner trying to just always wants to be popular. It just needs to be the center. <laughs> Has to control everything. <laughs> to control everything. Anyway, uh, I'm not even not even not even going to reply to that. Uh, Yeah, Uh, our game of the week this week was Ginkopolis, which I've misspelled more times than I can count uh, because it is spelled G-I-N-K-G-O-P-O-L-I-S. Like a city of ginkgo trees. Yes, and I never knew that a ginkgo tree was a thing, like until we started playing this. So I was like, I thought this was like. A fantasy world, which it is a fantasy world because you're like living it's Japan, within trees. The fantasy world of Japan. Yeah, but I was like under the impression that this was like a full on, like almost like Everdell type of situation. Right. Uh, and I thought it was, there was no G. I'm like, Ginkopolis. I thought it was just a word that someone came up with. Uh, but the story behind this game, according to BGG, is that in the distant future, like 200 years in the future, uh, the oldest and strongest tree in the world, a ginkgo tree, uh, has become a symbol for a new method of building cities that are uh, symbiotic with nature because humans have exhausted all of the resources that Earth offered them and humans now have to develop maintainable cities that strike a balance between resource production and consumption. Uh, so Ginkopolis has tiles and they start in a square on the board. And there are letters that are placed around the tiles that start on the board. And these letters are where you are allowed to expand the city by laying new tiles. Uh, The tiles come in three colors, yellow, red, and blue. And each one of them, when played, provides different resources or points or new tiles into your hand um, for you to use throughout the game. And the way the game works, which is pretty interesting to me because I like games like this, is simultaneous action selection. So everybody will put a card face down and a optional tile face down, should they want to place that tile. Uh, And when you are ready to play, you flip everything face up. And if you are trying to expand the city, you lay a tile out. Uh, at a specific letter that is on the board. Jonah? Oh, I'm putting my hands against my face because I forgot to mention that I played a game with Greg, Rajas of the Ganges, that we didn't talk about at all. Oh, we can, all right. we can talk about that afterwards. Yeah, we'll do that I later. I, I thought also... I completely messed something up. So I was like, what am I doing wrong? No, it's me. And I, and I need to say something too. I, I misspoke earlier where I was talking about Vladimir Tsuchi, and that's not the designer of King Kopolis. I was incredibly confused it was uh xavier george which is the designer of carnegie or carnegie that i backed right. i knew there, i knew there was a reason for it, like ginkopolis had some connection to it but i thought it was underwater cities for some reason but it's now it's the it's my just kickstarter uh fomo that's what it yeah. was anyway continue ben I'm sorry. Yeah, okay please don't let well, us distract you now that now that i'm no longer distracted by the two of these clowns uh I will continue the description of Ginkopolis. Uh, So every person plays their uh, options simultaneously. And there's a lot going, there's a lot going on in this game for a game that isn't really all that difficult because there's also 
draft I mean I wouldn't really call it drafting but you're you're passing cards to the next player so everybody kind of knows three cards that the next person is going to have in their hand it's like so, anti drafting yeah cuz everyone has four cards you'll play one of those four cards pass yeah. the three to the next person and then everyone will draw back up to four so they'll draw a card so yep. you just pick um, something to play yeah so everybody will know most of the cards that the next person has but um why this is kind of important is because there are different types of cards so there are cards that only allow you like they only show a letter on them essentially and that you would play along with a tile to expand the city where that letter is located but i had i'm bringing this up with the drafting because i'd confused myself during the game there's only one of each card. So at one point during the game, I was like, well, what if two of the same card come up? But I didn't realize because we're drafting, there's only one of each card. So it's not like two people can expand on the same location or build over the same tile on the same turn, which is why I brought that up to show how I'm a dummy. Uh, but you're, you're able to expand the city or you can play the card alone and kind of like sacrifice the card to gain the benefit that's on the card. Or you can play a card in a tile and the card will be numbered as opposed to lettered and each of the tiles has a number on it so there's one through 20 of each of the three colors so if you for example played the red 10 along with a tile you will build over the red 10 and stack a new tile on top of the red 10. Um, that comes into play because one when you build over something you add that card to your tableau instead of discarding it and it will give you benefits for provide for doing certain actions in the future. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jonah. I just want to kind of do a really clear explanation of the card system because it's yep. kind of convoluted and weird. So yep. when the game starts, you for a three-person game, you have a three-by-three three grid, and that grid has yellow one, two, three, red one, two, three, and blue one, two, three tiles. Similarly, the deck starts with those nine corresponding cards, yellow, one, two, three, blue, one, two, three, red, one, two, three, and the letters. And once you play, so you can get these tiles in your hand, in your stock, I guess. And like Ben said, if you play a yellow one, that means you are playing a tile on top of the yellow one. And then that tile that you just played on top of the yellow one is also going to have a number and a color. You put a little cylinder on that tile to remind yourselves that at the end of this round, you have to search through the deck and add that tile's matching card to the deck. Well, search through the supply and add that card to the deck. So the deck kind of expands into more and more possibilities with these tiles that you're adding and that of course also determines where you can play the future cards and also like Ben just said the letter cards don't stick in your tableau but these number cards do and what these number cards do in your tableau is they make it so other actions that you take get you more benefits so if I play the red 10 card that lets me build a tile on top of the red 10 tile. And in doing so, I can add the red 10 to my tableau. 
That red 10 might say on it that every time you expand outward in the city, you gain a point. Or every time you build on top of another tile, you gain a resource. So you are kind of engine building this whole time. But at the same time, these cards can be used just to get the resources on that tile. So I can play the red 10 card to exploit the red 10 tile and I would then get resources because it's red R for resources very smart uh, game design there and I would get resources equal to the number of resources on the red 10 tile so hopefully that makes sense for the cards yeah that, that's I guess what I was saying about underwater cities is the, if the color matches you get you get a sort of a bonus or a benefit. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, and Jonah had mentioned resources, which is the the part of the game that I hadn't talked about uh, up to this point. But resources are these little, like, hex tokens, and you really need to balance the resources versus trying to play tiles, because... Yep, go ahead. Sorry. Before I, it's before really I confusing to explain, because... There aren't different resources in this game. Yep. There is a single resource that is called a resource. It's yes. a very a very poorly named resource. resource. <laughs> yeah. It's literally just a token called resource. Uh and each person has their own supply of resource tokens. Uh and when you play a tile, uh, you like, let's say you're playing over another tile. So continuing along with that red 10, if the red 10 is being played over a number that is lower than the red 10, you just are now at a stack level of two. You put two resources up on that red 10 because it's now a stack level of two, assuming it's being played over a, the same color because that changes things as well. If you're playing that red 10 over a blue 8, for example, you have to pay a resource back to your general supply and then put two resources on that red 10 because it's a stack level of two and so on. So if you're going up to stack level three, you need to put three resources. So you really need to balance, as it said in the description, you really need to balance the resources with trying to expand or build the city. Um, and, and Ben, why do we care about resources yeah, on tiles <laughs> well resources you care about resources on tiles because one of the ways that the game ends and i don't know if this is the track you were asking me to go down but one of the ways the game ends is when somebody has no more resources to be able to place out on the board the that turn is the last turn of the game uh and we we were playing the game incorrectly and we kept basically recycling our resources pretty pretty heavily when we probably shouldn't have been. So it took a little while longer for us to empty a, a resource bag. Um, the other way that the game ends, just to get it out of the way, is the bag of uh, tiles that you can lay on the board. Uh, once that bag is emptied, you can choose to put tiles back into the bag from your hand for points. And if you do... There are now more tiles in the bag. The second time that the tile bag is emptied, the game ends. Which is how our game ended. Our game ended via the tile bag, not the resources. Um, 
But the other reason that the numbers on the cards are important is let's say you're playing, and this came up a few times in our game, let's say you're playing the red 10 over the red 20, and you're trying to build on top of the red 20. That is a difference of 10 in the numbers. You need to pay 10 victory points to be able to build on top of that. So you need to pay the difference in tile number in using your victory points. So you also need to manage your victory points, uh, which are a little bit of a resource in order to really expand the city. Um, and I, I thought that all of these systems worked together. I mean, I know we were playing incorrectly, but I thought all these systems worked together in kind of like an interesting way. Like there was a lot to think about, but it all kind of worked together and I thought it was neat to try and maximize your points, even though you're thinking about a lot of different things at one time. The guiding track that I was aiming for with the resources was the area control aspect of this game. Did you mention that? Oh, yet? yeah. No, I haven't. That's the big way to get points at the end of the game. So when there are tiles of the same color in chunks on the board, they're called districts. So two or more adjacent tiles are districts of the same color. Of the same color, yes. Uh, and at the end of the game, uh, there is the first player will gain points equal to the number of tiles comprised in each district, but that includes the stack. So if it's like, if there's a district of three tiles and one of them is three high, you get one, three, one points at the end of the game, right? Isn't that how it worked? No, you get points I... equal to the resources on the tiles. So if you have the most resources on in that district, you get points equal to the total number of resources in that district. If you have the second most resources that in that district, you get points equal to the number, your resources in that district. So if we have a four-tile red district where I have eight resources, you have seven resources, and Greg has six resources, I would get eight plus seven plus six points you would get seven points and Greg would not get points. Well, I, I guess it works out the same way because the number of resources on top are the same amount as the number of tiles in the stack. Are they? Yeah. That's how you know how tall it was. We didn't, re we didn't realize that until the end of the game, which is why it was confusing to see. But that's in only tabletop for last place, right? Because can't there be multiple? No. If you have a three stack height, you have three resources on the tile at the end. So you get those three because it's three stack height. We're just thinking about it differently, but it's the same thing. Yes. But then for second place, it's different. It's just the one that you control. So the number, so the amount that you build over a tile really comes into play, which is not something I was doing. Um, that was and, all I was doing because of the starting yeah, cards I got. Yeah. So I think that is a good segue really quickly into that bit of the game which is you get these starting cards and they kind of dictate how you should play at the very beginning but the tableau also dictates how you should play which was my one negative for this game well not one but it was one of my negatives for this game was that your tableau kind of dictates how you should play which also dictates how many points you can really score i think i personally felt a little bit like a passenger throughout this game like you and nick were pulling tiles or building over things, but my tableau gave like no bonuses for just regular expansions, whereas Nick's tableau gave bonuses for just expanding the city, 
So it was really hard for me to continuously get new resources or new tiles to put out on the board. Somehow I ended up within five points of the two of you guys. I really have no idea how. You were doing a good job. But I barely had stacked tiles. I barely had control of the board. It, It just felt a little weird for me because my tableau didn't give me enough bonuses, I felt, for doing specific things that I was trying to do. But I think part of that is also why you you want to manage the ability to build over tiles. Because if you see a card in your hand that's really powerful and you want that benefit, you need to figure out a way to build over a tile using that card so it gets added to your tableau. And maybe I just didn't do that enough. But that was my, that was my one big negative about the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the game was really interesting. There were a lot of uh, interlocking mechanisms in it. It kind of reminded me of Terra Mystica in that way, just because for me Terra Mystica has all these different moving parts that somehow come together to make a functioning board game. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, Ginkopolis was pretty neat. The tile expansion, like expanding out on the edges, felt a little weird compared to the overbuilding, just because if you want to play a tile on the outer edge, you have to have the corresponding letter. If the letter card you have in your hand is next to a district where you are not already present, you kind of just don't even want to build over there. So I felt like a lot of times there was a clear choice from the four cards in my hand. So Ben, a lot of times I gave you a hand of cards that was garbage, yep. and that's because it was 75% garbage for me. Yep. So I took the one card that was worth using and gave you the rest. Yep. I mean, as the game goes. But So yeah, it was really cool. I think there is definitely more to explore, knowing how to play correctly. And I was thinking that you can really plan more than... Well, I didn't plan at all. But one can plan more than I was planning for sure. Because if I have four cards in my hand and I use one of them, I know one of those next three cards is going to come back to me. So you can probably use that knowledge for strategy purposes. I did not, but I'm sure you could. The only part of the game that would break that strategy, and I like that they added this, even though I don't think that it was used as much as it could have been, is they do give each person two new hand tokens that are worth two points if you keep them. So each one's worth two points at the end of the game if you were to keep them. But you can turn in a new hand token to discard the entire hand of cards you have and draw a full new hand of four cards, which I did. I think we each did once, but I did it when Jonah handed me three letter cards that were useless for me, and I drew another letter card that was useless for me, and I just discarded the whole hand and drew back three letter cards that were useless for me and one card that was useful-ish for me. So... I I think that kind of came into play as well, that the cards, unless you really build a lot and bring new cards into the deck, there's a lot of letter cards, which might be useless, because like Jonah said, you don't really want to build a district or start start a new district potentially on like the other side of the map that's not even close to anything. So sometimes the cards are just completely useless for you. Doesn't sound like you're bitter about it at all, though, right? Sure. No. I mean, I look, I'm surprised at how close I was to being in the game. 
because I honestly felt the entire game like I wasn't affecting the game at all. Which I guess is a good thing because it it doesn't make me feel like I was playing completely wrong or terribly. It just was like I saw Nick and Jonah kind of building these like three stack heights in like these seven tile districts in the middle of the map. And I'm like, oh, well, here's another yellow tile that has to just go on the outside of the map. And then, like, you were getting points that way, and I was yeah. sacrificing points to overbuild. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, though. I mean, is that a good thing in a game where you don't know if you're doing well? Like, you might be actually doing that, but yet the feeling is not there that you're actually contributing to the end goal or uh, keeping up with everybody else. But then at the end of the end, at the end of the game, you're surprised that oh wow, like I I actually was keeping up. I didn't know that the whole time. So I don't know I don't know if I love games where you don't know the standings until the very end of the game. And I think this might have come up at one point while we were talking at, on another episode. I'm not sure I love games like that because sometimes it changes the way I play. Like this game for example, without knowing I was that close, I was still just doing my own thing cuz I didn't think that I had any ability to swing the game. But maybe I would have changed my play had I been able to know, like, oh, if I'm only you were five still points behind. So, you know, instead of building over somebody and sacrificing some points to try and, like, break up their district, I was just, like, plopping stuff on the outside, doing my own thing. And maybe I would have played differently if I knew how close I was. But it it happens. It is what it is. I still enjoyed the game, and I think things might have been different if we had known throughout the game that when you build next to a tile you gain the benefit of that tile um remember we didn't find that out until the middle of the game like if you build next to a stack of two yellow tokens you get two victory points for expanding near it we knew that the whole time that no was, we we started doing we, no. we started doing that in the middle of the game i was doing it the whole time <laughs> you were taking extra resources for building next to the red stacks ones? of red ones yeah Oh, I didn't. I didn't start doing that until the middle of the game when Nick brought it up. Oh, so, that's why you weren't into it. Yeah, so it's possible. Like again, I think there's more to explore. Like Jonah said, and I think now that I actually like legit understand how to play because there is a lot going on for such an easy overall game. Um, I think I would enjoy it a lot more, and I would like to see how it plays again. So I would like to play it again. Um, but yeah, I think overall the whole surprise ending thing. I'm not sure if that's like my favorite, but I don't mind it either. I think maybe if I was like 30 points behind and it was a surprise, that would have felt terribly. But yeah, but I like it the only game feels terribly once. Yeah, at the end instead of yeah. throughout. I think that's why people like that. I mean, I also don't like it. Concordia uses that. I think Scythe technically uses that i haven't played scythe in ages but i think you count um, up all the points at the end you can kind yeah, of tell I'm with the of. tracker on the left but you yeah. don't fully know until the end yep but yeah i i like to know if i'm doing well or poorly and how i should play throughout so that, i agree with you there that's a good point with concordia though they even suggest if it's your first time they whenever you take your cards back you do a you do a scoring at that point so that you right. sh you can see how it actually works and not be surprised at the end so that they actually were conscious of that in the rule book yeah agreed yep so yeah that's uh gingopolis greg why yep. don't you introduce tile laying as if no one knows what it is 
Well, before I do that, I was going to ask, um, what would you rate? Like, how would you rate King Kopolis if you were to give it a number? Both of you guys. Um, I would give it a six and a half. Yeah, I'd I'd probably say I'd probably say like a five and a half for the first half of the game, but now that I know how to play, I'd probably put it up to like a six and a half. Six and a half, okay. That's yeah, not it, it's not great. I'm a harsh raider though, which you I'm, guys probably I'm know not. by how few games I have. Few. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not. So like, I did enjoy the game, but I also. I think my feeling like a passenger for the mo- for the majority of the game has skewed me. I think my second play would probably move up into the sevens. But Ben, you were sitting in the driver's seat the whole time, and you just didn't realize it. Yeah, well, that's part of partly on me. <laughs> so I'd like to play. Let's put it this way: I'd like to play it again to see how I think of it, like in another play. Um, but it's not my favorite tile lane game that I have or have played. So, but it was fun. I liked it overall. All right. So, Tyler, I'm actually going to read the description from BGG because I feel like there's so many variants of tiling that uh, you know I just want to be very clear and concise. So, their description is tile placement games feature placing a piece to score victory points or trigger abilities, often based on adjacent pieces or pieces in the same group or cluster, and keying off non-spatial properties like color or feature completion or cluster size, etc. So, that's their description, and they give the example of Carcassonne, which is uh, a classic, I suppose, in, in the board game world. I know, Jonah, you haven't played it, but um, that is, I guess, the purest tile placement game there is. I mean, I've only, I've only played it a couple times, but that game is so... Rela- I was talking about relaxing games. That is the most relaxing game, because all you do, that's what on your turn. You take a tile and you place it. Maybe you place a meeple, maybe you score a meeple. Who knows? But that's all you do on the turn, and it's so elegant, just the flow of it. Uh, but yeah, that's what that's what tile placement games are. Do, do you have? Yes, I mean, I, do you want me to go into the my favorite tile placement? Yeah. How do you want to approach this? Go right ahead. Yeah. Talk about a game that's tile laying that you enjoy or don't enjoy. Well, this is a perfect segue. Going back to Rogers of the Ganges that we played the other day. Um, this I is probably I one... forgot to mention that. That's okay. It uh, I actually forgot forgot about it too. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite games too. I think because it combines tile placement with a couple other mechanics uh, that are my favorite. And I'm I feel bad, but Ben, I wish you played this with us because I think I don't know, you f- might have found it interesting. But too bad. It's okay. Next time. Too bad. Um, so sad. So let me explain a little bit about the game, and then I'll go into the tile placement aspect. So the scoring of the game, or how you win the game, is completely different than normally highest victory points. Because you have two tracks that are going around the board. You have a money track going one way, and then you have a fame track going the other way. And you have markers on on each of those. And throughout the game, you're obviously scoring money and fame. And whenever your two markers reach, uh, or they meet, rather that's when the game ends. And if potentially multiple people uh, meet in the same round, then whoever's further along that track or farthest away from you know, once they cross, they win. So there's no highest victory point, essentially. But the game itself is a worker placement game where dice are the resource. So it's not a dice placement game like Marco Polo or, or Teotihuacan, 
it's a worker placement a game where dice are the resource and uh, one of the the bit or the biggest aspect I think is the tile placement so each person has their own kingdom I suppose you would call it and you start with a uh, what would you call it John like a what do they call it a manor or like a Estate. Yeah, you can think of it estate. as like palace grounds, and you have the palace, and you need to build yeah. up the grounds. Yeah, it's like an estate or something. I think they call it. Um, so then there's a grid, and it starts with the, the main house, and you're placing tiles that are essentially Carcassonne style. They have roads on them, and they also have some bonuses, whether it's money or uh, this uh, the fame point uh, resource or a bonus rather. And as long as it connects back to your main house, your main estate, you get that bonus. And the rest of the game is kind of helping you set up that tile placement. And that's why I like this game so much. Because the more you upgrade that your, like it's, it's the fame portion of the game, when you place a tile that has that fame icon on it, you get a lot more points. Uh, when you upgrade, uh, or there's, bon uh, a market where you can go to to get money from the market icons you place on the tiles. That just gets better if you can really uh, space out or optimize your your tile laying. So really, what you're doing on the main board is just consequential to what you're doing on your little mini estate board, and it's just very satisfying to get bonuses and combo off. I think that's one of the biggest appeals for for me for the for the combo potential, where if I place this tile, I'll get this many fame points, and when I get that many fame points, that will give me a movement on the uh, river track, which will move me one, and then that movement will give me two extra die that I need for next turn to get more money. So it's this crazy combo potential. Uh, very satisfying to build out your estate, get bonuses, and just that race aspect to have your two markers meet on the edge. Yeah, it was really interesting. The the river, I don't think I should call it a river track, but the river with all the different spots in it, you know, every single spot is a bonus and it will help you to get every single spot. But if you just slowly float down the river, it kind of harms your game as well because there's some good stuff at the very end. So, you know, I was taking it, yeah, I was just going to say, I should have explained the, the river and the fame tracks. On those tracks, there are extra workers that you can get to. So if you get to 20 money first, or not first, if you just get to 20 money, you can get an extra worker to use. If you get to, uh, I forget, 10 fame or something, you get an extra worker. And on the river uh, line, I guess I guess it is a kind of a track, This the spaces do have bonuses or abilities you can use. But further down that river track is another worker. So if you really want to rush to get extra workers to take extra actions, you can really row your way up that river or down that river as quickly as possible, but you miss out on those bonuses going a little bit slower and, and potentially uh, uh, getting a lot of value out of that stuff. So, all right, go ahead, Jonah, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say all of that, and also that it's really interesting that it is a race game. You are working to improve your points and your money, and you want those to cross each other. But it doesn't really feel like you're working towards the race aspect. You know, it is a race. Whoever does that first will end the game and probably win because they did it. 
but at the same time you're really just working towards the uh, accumulation of two different resource types, right? Points and money. So Yeah, points and money. And and also just never running out of die. I think that's the, the key point too, is you need to balance that race with not running out of die as a resource. Because you can turn one die into two, so it's always a net of one. So that's a great thing. But some actions, let have to, you have to spend the die and you don't get one back. So you have to manage that uh, economy as what well, if you will of of dice right um but what did what did you think of the tile placement portion of the game because that's really a, a big part of it i thought that the tile placement portion was interesting it's funny i didn't feel like that was the heart of the game even though i know it is the heart of the game because you're doing all this stuff up there to be able to afford to place some more tiles but yeah i thought it was cool the fact that the dice are resources and you pay for these tiles with dice was pretty neat as well um but just to slightly point this conversation towards tile laying in general i don't think i have good spatial awareness for board games like this for tile laying board games so it's one thing for like Electropolis, just because we just played that, to think, where do I want to put this piece? And where can I put this piece? It's another thing for me to think, where do I want to put this piece? And where do I want this branching path that goes through the piece to point? So on these tiles, you're, I don't know, making a path through your garden, let's say. And if you have a piece that's just uh, a plus, you know, an entrance and an exit on every side, you don't have to think about it at all. But if you get one of these that's a T, you really have to think, you know, in which way do I want to rotate this so I don't lock myself out of future garden path placements. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, and do you take that T or that just straight line to get a bonus on the outside? I don't think I mentioned that. On the outside of your uh, of your estate board, there are bonuses, and if you can connect that outside little icon bonus to your back to your estate, you get that as well. So do a sacrifice, getting that immediate bonus now, and then blocking yourself out from branching further down, or do you keep yourself open and, and perhaps uh, not take that bonus yet? But that that is a good point of the spatial awareness. It's it is a different type, you know, where you have branching paths and kind of envision where you want to go or or where the possibilities that could come out of that and then electropolis where um, i don't even know how you would describe it. it is different where you just have a it's just putting stuff there uh, you don't have to worry about yeah, a putting path. stuff down yeah. You, yeah you don't have to worry about a path but you have to worry about being as efficient not blocking yourself out keeping yourself open essentially just in case the placement cards at the top are not what you're looking for you need to have some sort of out or some sort of, a couple open spots just in case. Right. I found at least. And I played Sprawlopolis, which was a one-player tile-laying game, or card-laying. It's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. And apart from it being a solo game that I didn't really like, a lot of it is, you know, there are roads on these cards, and you're trying to figure out where the roads will go because that forms districts as well. And I, I think really my main gripe with tile-laying games is 
my own inability to form a good route through all of these tiles. I don't think I'm great at that part of these games. So I do enjoy tile-laying games. I think they're all really interesting, and they present a neat thing to think about. But if there is a path on these tiles, I just have to let myself uh, not think about it. Succumb to whatever well, happens, I guess I should say. Well, that's probably why you like Azul so much, especially the backside of Azul, where it's not where it's open, right? Probably because that's Electropolis. There's no paths involved. So it's just you know placing in an efficient manner. That could be it. What about you, Ben? Yeah. What are your tiling games? Um, so the one that I was thinking of, which I really enjoy, and it's pretty simple, is is off the rails. And I know I've mentioned it a couple of times way back, but it was like the first Kickstarter board game I ever backed, and it took me like two years to finally play it. Um, cause it was in Florida, but I finally played it and I really, really enjoy it. Now it's up here in New Jersey. Um, but basically you are these goblins and you're trying to delve into this mine to get gems and bring them out to gain points, but you have to lay down your track, uh, which are tiles in order to direct you in various directions to like move your, move your little mine cart with the goblin in it. Um, there's a little bit of take that involved because you can build a track off of someone else's track. So you can kind of like try and direct them in some other direction or like move them off the path that they wanted to be on. But uh, it's really fun because you kind of have to maneuver your carts in a way that you won't cause any collisions or derail your carts or anything like that. Um, because each one has a die in it, and that's how many spaces or tiles the cart will move at the end of your turn. So you always place a tile, do other various actions, because you have a number of actions that you can do. But then at the end of the turn, any carts that are in the mine have to move. So someone can like redirect you on their turn, and then you have a little bit of your turn to try and maneuver yourself out of like a collision because you know that that cart has to move at the end of the game or at the end of the round. So if you collide with another person, you're going to be dropping gems that you've collected like along the path. So you would be losing points. Or if you derail entirely, you're going to be like kicked out of the mine, but lose all of the points that you just gathered. So you really have to think about um, like how you want to place this track down to be the most efficient and also to connect it to an exit point to get you out so that you can gain those points. Um, but it's just a really quick, easy tile laying game that uh, I have a lot of fun playing. And I know that there's an expansion potentially coming up soon. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that, but that's a fun one. I like that one a lot. And then I know I mentioned earlier, Sorceropolis. Uh, Sorcerer City or Sorceropolis. <laughs> um, if you want the complete opposite of, Carcassonne, which, as Greg described, is apparently a chill tile-laying game. This one is not a chill tile-laying game because you have a minute-long sand timer and you are racing to place out the most, like, efficient and high-scoring city tile pieces that you can. But the way it works is there's, like, colors on each tile and your stack of tiles that you collect because it's also, like, a little bit of a deck builder, I guess you can call it. Um, you buy different tiles from the marketplace that give better bonuses. 
but you start with a stack of tiles that are face down. And if you pull a tile off the stack and look at it, you have to play it. You can choose to stop playing tiles at any point, but you're basically like ripping through tiles and trying to place them in the most efficient manner, but they're all colored in various ways. And you're making districts. So every like chunk of your city that's in a colored district will get you resources based on that color at the end of the round that are either points or you can spend them on new tiles in the market. But it is very chaotic, very hectic, but a lot of fun because you're racing against that sand timer and you're usually come down to the wire and you're like, oh, geez, oh, geez, I got to get these last couple tiles out. And you're like racing to put them in like an efficient spot that's not complete garbage. Um, but that one's a lot of fun. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that one. So that's a cool that, one, too. That sounds like Galaxy Trucker, too. I haven't played Galaxy Trucker, but that's kind of what it sounds like where you're, 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 you're timed, I think, and you're trying to put tiles on your spaceship in a certain way to have it as efficient as possible for it to fly through space and i have not played that either so i can only trust what you're saying okay but yeah yeah. (laughs) i just wanted to say that i do like the part of uh, tile layers where you can shoot yourself in the foot i have mentioned before that my favorite part of azul is the backside exactly like you just said greg and yeah, I like living uh, fast and loose in these games and just doing dumb stuff. And if the game ends early enough, I'll do well. And if the game does not end early enough, uh, I will pay a very heavy point price. But that's part of the fun well, for me. In Azul, do you... Because it theoretically could end in five rounds, right? I mean, if, you, if someone wanted to, do you try to have it end in five rounds or you try to get the most amount of points possible i go for points and kind of yeah but but i also if monitor if it's going to end in five rounds right that's what i'm gonna say like if if your opponent is probably gonna place that right. fifth one yeah because you can make a board that doesn't work as long as you can yeah. ignore the problem long enough it's very true very true um the other tile lane game that i wanted to mention and I, th- I think this counts too as Feast for Odin, right? I mean, that you are laying tiles in a way to for income. I mean, it is spatial awareness. You have to. What do you think? I see you making a face. What do you? Uh, do you not agree? I, for my own purposes, for my own taxonomical purposes, put polyominoes and tile laying in a different category. Only because mm. I think I think polyominoes are definitely tile laying. I think it's a strange but good subset of tile laying because in tile laying I think it's just where can I put this? How does it work with other things? Not when I say where can I put this, I mean like which spots d- does this go? Not where does this shape physically fit? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, okay. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I I guess where where my head was going was deciding what you want to cover up and, um, or surround. I should I should say right. in Feast Road and with bonuses. So it's if that's the decision, not just oh this fits here, let me I'll just place it here. But do I want to increase my income or do I want to get uh, bonus? You know, get an, an extra beaver pelt or whatever you know each round 
So that, that kind of decision of where to place this tile, uh, if you have other boards, not just on your main board. Right. I guess that's where I was. I mean, I'm not the going. arbiter of uh, tiling rules, so I'm not going to tell you you can't yeah. talk about it. But for me, it's slightly different. Because like, just to circle back to Azul for one second, if I have a square on the backside, it can go anywhere. Whereas with polyominoes, you have to actually see where it fits, not just where do you want to put it. Well, yeah, but then you can argue Carcassonne's that way too. You can't put car uh, a tile for Carcassonne anywhere. It has to go where it fits. So even though it's just a square tile, if it doesn't have a road on it, you can't put it next to a road, that kind of thing. That's true. All right. You win this one, Greg. <laughs> I guess I'll have to retract Isle of the Cats too because that's a polyomino. Even though they they have some non-polyomino tiles you can place, um, that is also where it fits, but that sub layer of covering up there's rats on the board where you don't want to uh, get negative points for that. Or you can fill up a room because you get, you get negative points for not filling up rooms on your, uh, on your boat. So it's not just, okay, this fits here, but I have a bonus point card to touch the edge of my boat. Well, is that worth it more than covering up these two rats or something? You know, that there is a decision to be made there. Not just it fits if, as the cat would say, like, if I, if I fit, I sit, or whatever it is. Great time. I have to brush up on my on my uh, my cat uh, wordisms, but um, and then lastly, the one I had was uh, all right, two more actually. Um, Castle Burgundy. What do you think about that one? Is that I haven't played it tiling? yet. I still need to. I haven't played that many tile lane games. Yeah, neither have I. Oh well, that's one of my favorites too. I know it's I mean, Candy's it's favorite. As, yeah, I mean it's regarded as one of the you know best two player experiences but that's you have a board it's an asymmetrical if you're playing with the the advanced boards that they're all asymmetrical and you have different terrains you know you have a uh, building terrain which are brown tiles then you have uh, the water tiles and you have the farm uh, the animal ones which are green and you have to play adjacent to each other but the types of tiles give bonuses so some buildings give you the ability to take more tiles from the board or place tiles onto your board and you're trying to combo those off while also filling up those regions on your on your board so again it's not just oh this fits here i just need another brown tile it's is this brown tile worth it because it's going to get me an extra bonus to be able to place more tiles and kind of uh, build off that but I, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't played Castle. I mean, that's a fantastic... If someone had ever asked if I wanted to play, the answer would always be yes. But All right, I'm making a list the here. The situation hasn't so, come up. I already I found Underwater Cities. Twice. I found Underwater Cities on Tabletop Simulator, so we're going to play that soon. Yeah, um, let me know. And then Castles of Burgundy is right under that. Excellent. What was your other one you wanted to mention, Greg? Uh, there's, Car so I had wrote down Carson City. I can't remember too much of that game. I just remember that I liked it a lot. Yeah, I played that with Patrick. And it was neat. I think we I think that was the same game I played, and that was a cool tile placement or build you know building placement or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't describe it too much because I forget the details, but I just remember that it was a fun experience. I think I got robbed. I think you robbed me. Maybe you came and robbed my saloon or something. If I did, I forgot. Damn, about Jonah, it. so mean. 
Yeah. I'm thinking right now if uh, Tigris and Euphrates counts. I have to remind myself what that board looks like. What, what about King Domino? Have you guys played King Domino? I have. That's a cute little one. King Domino and Queen Domino. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very light tiling. Um, Jessica's you know, parents you have, have match up. King Domino. They play it. It's a cool yeah, little two, one. Do the, yeah, the two-player version, I don't think they do the... Um, yeah, I think it's 7x7, seven seven, I think you go up right. to. Because normally it's 5x5, five five, but you can do 7x7 seven seven in two-player. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a fun little spatial awareness game. Ben, what did you think of Tigris and Euphrates? Or Yellow and Yangtze? Which one did we play? I know I've played uh, We played Yellow and Yangtze. I thought it was okay. It was on my OK Games list when we did that episode. Right. Um, I just thought it was okay. I mean, I like the... I like the victory point mechanism, but I don't really remember the game much otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. A tile lane games are like a style of game I'd like to try and get into more because I don't think that I've really played many of them. And they seem they seem like something I would like because, Greg, when you were mentioning earlier the combo potential in, uh, I think it was uh, Ranges. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like games where you can combo things together. So tiling seems like a mechanic I would enjoy. So I would like to try and play some more of them. But I haven't played many up until this point. So, Look, when you come over, man, we'll play Rajas. we got Isle of Cats, Carcassonne. I still have to Castle teach you anachrony. You do, yeah, so there's a lot of tiling. A lot of tiles to be laid if you come yeah, over. Tile laid, tile, tile, laid, played. tile played. Yeah, exactly. You know what Ben won't be saying when he goes over, though? I love cats. That's right. Yeah. I'll be saying Isle of Cats, but I won't be saying I love cats. You can watch the, uh, what's his name, movie before you go over there. Yeah, that really helped. Isle of Dogs? What's his name? Wes oh, Anderson. Um, Wes Anderson, yeah. Is that a horror movie? No, it's a what? Claymate, like a animate? No, it's claymation or animated. Wait, who am I thinking of? Isn't there like a Wes someone who's all like horror movies? Oh yeah, uh, Wes oh, Night Shyamalan. Wes... <laughs> no. no, what's his name? Wes. Um... Oh, see, this oh, is the Patrick didn't... next week. Podcast Patrick <laughs> <laughs> didn't. I didn't. I thought it was Wes Anderson. I thought he did the Nightmare on uh, Elm Street or whatever. Wes Anderson did Grand Budapest Hotel, and. Uh, the other movie we just mentioned, Isle of Dogs, and all these other movies that are super stylized. Oh, you're thinking of Wes Craven, man. Wes yes. Craven. Yeah, I knew there was a Wes. I knew there was a Wes that was movie styles that I don't like at all. But, alright, whatever. Yeah, and Wes Borland was the uh, guitarist in, uh, in Limp Bizkit, so. Alright, well, there's too many, another Wes, too many, too, too many Wes's for me. Wes, who else? Wes McCauley, the the best NHL referee uh, currently active. I think those are all the Wes's I know. Yeah, I don't know many other Wes's. So I know Wes. What about Wesley Snipes? I call him Wes. I call him <laughs> yeah. Wes Snipes. Oh God! You're on a one syllable basis with him. That's right. Is Greg short for Gregory? It is. Yeah. It is. This is killing me. What's that? All of this? This whole part of this conversation? 
We're not talking about cats anymore. We're yeah, talking about Wes. Wes. Wes's. Famous Wes's. Look, what's Jonah short for? Isn't it obvious? Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ben, if you want us to stop oh. talking about this, you can do the sign off anytime. <laughs> Is it my. T- am I doing the sign off also this week? I can't stop talking until you do it. All right. I guess I'll do it. Uh, that just about wraps us up for another episode of Jonah and Ben play board games with friends. Wait, Greg, do you have uh, anything you. else add? Any, oh, any more Wes isms? <laughs> um, any more cat stories? It, 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 it Wes, nice to be here again. <laughs> there you go. You're a cool cat. Oh my Greg. God. Thanks man. Oh my God. This is what I, I'm so glad that we can't see each other in person right now. It's, the best part of covid that i don't need to see you guys in person but on that note thanks everyone for joining us for this week's episode of jonah and ben play board games with friends greg thank you for joining uh and until next time until next week when i'm on again oh yeah you've already invited yourself Uh, and as always thanks to louisa for the great music throughout